Welcome to the City Reach Baptist Podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Morning, everybody. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Um, my name is Pastor Jeremy. I'm the pastor at Cedar College. I'm also a dad. I have two kids, Lily and Elijah. They're very sensible names. Um, and I was looking this week at kids with names um, that their dads have given them that are a little bit rough. Um, celebrity dads, for whatever reason, tend to go a bit crazy. Here's one. This is Jamie Oliver. Um, he has five kids now. There was only four there. But this is what he named his kids. Poppy, Honey, Rosie. That's one kid. <laughs> Daisy, Boo, Pamela, Petal, Blossom, Rainbow, and then the boys, Buddy Bear, and River Rocket. You think about it, these kids, they grow up under so much pressure um, just being the kids who belong to Jamie Oliver, and then he gives them names like that just to add to it all. Here's another celebrity dad. This is George Foreman, a famous boxer from last century, possibly more famous now for this, if we've got it there. Um, He had 12 kids, 12 kids, five boys, and he named them George. (laughs) So George Jr., George III, George IV, George V, George VI. And he explains it like this. I named all my sons George Edward Foreman so they'd always have something in common. It's beautiful, right? And easy to call them. I say to them, if one of us goes up, then we all go up together. And if one of us goes down, we all go down together. Can you imagine the pressure on George and George and George? George. That... Their life is all about their dad. Literally, their name is their dad. And he has built this great empire and done all these amazing things. And if they do anything, you're bringing us all down if you stuff this up. Imagine that. Have their life from birth mapped out for them. All kinds of expectations on them. And we all do, right? You feel that because we all have some of that that it feels like our destiny is carved in stone and we either bust our guts to live up to it or we rebel against it. Because how can you know if your life is really going to measure up in the end? And what, if you, what do you do if you get to that point and you just realise you're just not good enough? It's no surprise that many of these celebrity kids change their names or try to escape or just party really hard. Um, We're looking at a celebrity kid this morning and he went for that last option, Belshazzar. So Nebuchadnezzar, he was king in Babylon where God's people have been taken into exile because they'd been ignoring God. And for better or worse, Nebuchadnezzar was a successful king. We've seen that is by the will of God. But he's passed on, and by chapter 5, his son, Belshazzar, 
has now come on. Riding in on the coattails of his dad. Happy Father's Day, Belshazzar. We're about to compare you to your father. He's Nebuchadnezzar. For better or worse, he was a successful king. He had made wars and conquered nations and built this great empire and wealth for himself and renown. Belshazzar, all we have on this guy is that he can throw a good party. And then the cups and plates that he uses at the party, he's borrowed from his dad. One of the first things we see about Belshazzar is that he has a drinking problem. He throws a party for a thousand nobles and his wives and his lovers are there in the room as well. This is quite a hectic party. And possibly the room where it was is just a little bit bigger than this room. They're all crammed in together. And each of the first four verses of the chapter mentions Belshazzar's drinking. He was drinking wine, he was tasting wine, he was drinking wine, he was drinking wine. This guy has a drinking problem. And he's drinking it in front of everyone. Like, that's messy. But even worse than his drinking problem is this, that Belshazzar has a problem with God. Because right there in the middle of the party, he commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought. These vessels that his dad had stolen from Jerusalem, these sacred vessels, Nebuchadnezzar had taken them, but he's got them in storage for some reason. Because these vessels were holy. They were special. They were meant for worship of this mighty God. They're not something to mess with. But then Belshazzar takes them and he uses them for his own fun, for his own pleasure. You get this picture, a room full of people drinking themselves into a mess with these sacred vessels and these people and these vessels God had a way better purpose for both of them and Belshazzar has a God problem and he thinks it's nothing And then verse 5, immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. This gets pretty comical. The king's color changed. Blood runs from his face. And his thoughts alarmed him. And his limbs gave way. And his knees knocked together. Can you imagine the cartoon of this, right? This is ridiculous. The great king of Babylon and his knees are knocking. It gets even more ridiculous than that. Because um, the words there, his limbs gave, gave way. Literal translation is the knots of his loins unraveled. Guy soiled his pants. Clearly, Belshazzar is freaked out. Think about it. He's been drinking away all the pressures of life and actively stating that the God of these golden cups means nothing. And then this happens. It's that sick feeling you get in your gut. There is actually a God. And I'm way out of line. You know when the stress gets to you and you get really jumpy? Something weird happens to you and you're jumpy? When a hand appears out of 
nowhere on the wall and writes a message to you. It's not hard to understand why Belshazzar might have made a mess of himself right there. But we're all a bit messy. So as we read and look at this story of Belshazzar, we've got to think about ourselves. How much of ourselves do we see in this story? So Belshazzar called loudly, Ah! Get my advisors, come in here, help me out. And, and he says, if you can read what that says, and if you can tell me what that says, I'm going to give you purple clothes, like this sign of honour. I'm going to give you a gold chain, it's a sign of wealth, and I'm going to make you third ruler in my kingdom. Like All this power, this is crazy. Belshazzar... <laughs> In this moment, he's grasping for control. He is a celebrity kid that is used to using money and whatever he's got to get his own way. And he's throwing it all around at the moment. I'll make you third in my kingdom. Let's get this. In the face of a spiritual crisis, all those precious things that make us feel so comfortable, they become completely dispensable. Their value plummets in that moment. It's all stuff that's not worth holding on to when your destiny is at stake. I'll give you all this stuff. I don't care. Just figure it out for me. But his advisors are just as freaked out as him because they cannot read it and they cannot understand it and they cannot help him. And you imagine just the scene in the party room, like everyone's stopped and everyone is freaking out. And the queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet hall. The queen. The queen. Um, it says in verse 2, Belshazzar is in the party with his wives. So it's not his wife, the queen. It's his mum, the queen. <laughs> She's been pushed to the side or maybe she didn't want to be there at all because that's, man, you're making a mess of yourself. Can you imagine how <laughs> embarrassed, <laughs> angry she is at her son at that moment? And she comes in. Classic thing, when everything falls apart, who do you need? You need mum to come in. And mum comes in with this classic mum approach. Seriously, Belshazzar, we've been through this before. She says, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your colour change. There's a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And, and King Nebuchadnezzar, your father... Your father, the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems, literally to untie knots. There's a guy that can untie this knot. So far, there's only one knot you've untied, and it hasn't gone very well for you. Where's Daniel? What have you done with him? Why don't you have him here right now? <laughs> what has Daniel said or done or represented that Belshazzar has pushed him to the margins like that? He's like, learn the lesson of your father. Get Daniel. He's going to sort it out. You know, how embarrassing to have your mum come in and just give you a, a talking down like that. Like, <laughs> well, at least she could have done was come with some spare pants. Daniel was brought in before the king and you can hear it in Belshazzar's voice. He's on the defensive right now because he's been shamed. He's in a really awkward place. 
and here's this guy. But even then, he's being defensive. You're that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought from Judah. I've heard of you. Apparently, apparently you have the spirit of the gods. You can figure this stuff out. Well, if you can, if you can read that and you can tell me what it says, I'll give you a purple cloak. I'll give you a gold chain. I'll make you third in my kingdom. And Daniel's like, nah, it's all right. Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Daniel, number one, isn't in this for the money. You know why? Because Daniel has seen how powerfully God works over and over and over again. He's been up close and seen it. Daniel has stood firm over and over again, knowing how powerful and good God is. And he's seen how much better it is to stand with God and trust in Him than any of these other things, purple clothes or chains or power. Standing with God. Money means nothing to me. Number two, Daniel knows what the writing says. And he knows that anything that Belshazzar offers him is worth nothing anyway. Daniel can't be bought. God can't be bought. But God can untangle, undo the knot of that mystery and the knots we find ourselves in. And Daniel gives Belshazzar a history lesson. He says this, King, the Most High God, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness. Your dad was so good because God allowed him to be good and, and blessed him so that he had this great empire. But here's the problem. Your dad let that go to his head and he forgot God and he turned away from God. And so God humbled him, sent him crazy. And Nebuchadnezzar went off and lived with wild donkeys and ate grass like a cow, got wet with the dew of heaven. And he just lost his mind until he came to the point where he realized that God is God and God is in control. And he came to his senses and he knew that the Most High God rules. And then Daniel second condemning finger of the night for Belshazzar, points his finger at him and says, verse 22, and you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this. You knew all of this already, Belshazzar. I'm not telling you anything new here. You knew the story of your dad. But you've lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you've praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which don't see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways, you've not honoured. She knew all this and still not. And then from his presence, the hand was sent and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, mene, 
tackle, and parson. And this is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom kingdom and brought it to an end. Mene, mene, many, many. We think that we have many, many days, many, many opportunities. The life is somehow limitless. So we don't even think about that. But this is a sobering message enough just to have mene, mene on the wall, to think there is a limit to our life. It's coming to an end at some point. And just to think of that and how that starts to shape the way we're thinking right now. Mene, mene. Tekel, you've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. A tekel is a shekel, it's a coin. And to find out whether this coin is worth anything or not, you, you weigh it up. God has weighed you and all that you've done and it's worth nothing. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. A Paris was a half a shekel. You split it in half. Your kingdom's going to be taken over and split up by the Medes and the Persians. What you think is so much and has been so secure for you is gone in a moment. Numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. You've been weighed, you've been found wanting. The writing's on the wall. How would you react to that? Imagine Belshazzar in that moment. He's seeing that and he's just had it spilled out to him so plainly. And what does he say? Oh God, I am undone. I am a fool. And I've been running from you for so long. And I realize now that I am nothing. And you are everything. And I'm throwing myself at your mercy right now. Now, this is what Belshazzar says. And Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. He's just totally ignored that Daniel wasn't even interested in any of that. But more than that, he's ignored the message and he's ignored God. Belshazzar right here breaks with the pattern of the whole book of Daniel. Chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar, his father, has a dream. Daniel comes and tells him the dream and interprets it for him. And Nebuchadnezzar sees the hand of God moving in his life and it turns him to worship. Foggy worship, but worship. And then the next chapter, the fiery furnace, right there, he sees God at work. And again, he worships God. And then he has this other dream and he loses his mind and sees the mercy and grace of God in all of that. And in the end is this psalm of worship to God, right? This is the pattern of what should happen when the hand of God moves in your life that you turn and worship him humbly. Chapter two, chapter three, chapter four, and then chapter five. Belshazzar is conspicuously silent right there. In the face of the plain truth, the writing was literally on the wall. A personal message from God, graciously confronted with the truth of God and the need for humility, and Belshazzar ignores it completely. 
You know, there was another king around this time, Manasseh, who was a, a bit earlier on. He was a king of Judah. And it says about him that um, he, was an, he was evil. <laughs> he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And he was carried off into Babylon. And there he is in chains. And he cries out to God for mercy. And God hears him at that lowest point and has mercy on him and changes his heart and restores him. And, and this whole new story comes out of that. That is a God of mercy. Right there in that moment, God is quick to show mercy to those who humble themselves. And here he is writing on the wall, say, come on, come on, listen to me, look at me, take notice, do something right now. And Belshazzar completely ignores it. He's been doing it for ages. He's been suppressing the truth the whole time. He's tucked Daniel away somewhere. He's ignored the lessons of his father. He's pretended that these sacred vessels aren't worth anything. And yet God still gives him one last opportunity. And it doesn't get any clearer than that. And Belshazzar still ignores it. And then he faces the consequences. Verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. You figure out the timeline of what's going on here. The Medes were at the doorstep, ready to invade, while Belshazzar is having a party. And rather than preparing himself to go out there and meet the enemy, Belshazzar is drinking himself into a stupor. How ridiculous is that? Judgment is at the door. What are we doing? We're all little Belshazzars. We're riding on the efforts of others, holding on to shiny things to make ourselves feel significant, finding our confidence in what we have, or just drinking away the harshness of reality, ignoring, ignoring, ignoring. We take the things that belong to God and we use them to feed our own desires. Here's a big question. If you were weighed today in the hand of the holy, holy, holy God, how would you do? Just imagine this, a shining set of scales. And on this side, think of something selfish you've already done today. A selfish thought something that's put down someone else, a selfish act, or the failure to act and care for someone else and just place that on there. Already the scale is out of whack. And that's just one of the things you've done today. Then think deeper about the other things. And then go back through the days and the weeks and the months and the years and then put all that stuff on there as well. This scale is heavy and now you go over here and think of any selfless thing you've done purely selfless not a kind thing that others would see as selfless but purely selfless any of those things you've got put them on there if you can find any and see how it weighs up there is none of us that could balance that scale, right? 
just feel the weight of that, where we're at. And there's nothing we can do to get this down. Charles Spurgeon pushes it even more. He says, I put but one weight on this scale. It's this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind, with all your soul and with all your strength. And I invite any man to put himself into the scales and see whether he would be full weight, whether there'd be so much as just one commandment on this side of the scales. We're meant to be sacred vessels, our bodies, our lives, used to be poured out and used in worship to bring glory to a holy God. But we use them for all kinds of other things. And we miss out on honouring God and we offend him instead. And this scale just gets weighed down more and more and more. This is a really helpful spiritual exercise for us. Imagine ourselves in that balance. We're here and we're just, what is it going to take to restore this balance, to get something back? Because when we honestly weigh ourselves, we are found wanting. Our knot comes untied. Our knees knock together. We're humbled like Nebuchadnezzar was, like Belshazzar should have been. But what is it that we want? Sitting high on this scale, what is it that we want? We want some weight. We want something solid with substance and something pure and heavy that's going to bring it down. What do we want? What could be pure and real and heavy enough to deal with that years of weight? Romans 5.18 says this, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, that's Jesus Christ. By the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. What do we want? We want the righteousness of Jesus. Jesus' life was weighed in the balance and found to be perfect and holy and righteous and weighty enough. And God has accepted his life for mine. Jesus Christ died because I was found wanting. And he rose to life again. And here's the amazing thing. Jesus offers us his righteousness. and says, put that on your scale. His goodness. The full weight of his honourable life in our place. Bam! And what happens to this side? All of that. Sent to oblivion. Gone. What we want is Jesus Christ. We want to cling to Him. Rather than putting all our confidence in, in physical things that we can bargain with, the, the gold chains and the, the purple clothes and the parties and the status and the wine, we put our confidence in something better, something weighty. We put our confidence in Jesus Christ. 
So get this. When the enemy is at the door, we don't fear or we don't just pretend everything's all okay. We cling to Jesus Christ like Daniel learnt to cling to God because he is all we need. And the world can offer us nothing and bam, we are safe. When we feel crippled by inadequacy, when that existential crisis hits and the knot in our belly comes loose, we cling to Jesus Christ because He is the weightiness. He is is the ballast that's going to hold us in that moment. He is the good that we need in that crisis. We're no longer trapped in a Belshazzar life because there's no fear of comparison. There's no burden of expectation on us like all those celebrity kids. There's no need for defensiveness like Belshazzar got with Daniel because I'm found wanting. I know it. There's nothing I can do to move that scale. And anything you point out in me, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm wanting. I'm wanting Jesus. And I'm clinging to him and bam, that scale has come down. And when we wonder what our lives are for, we recognize that we are sacred vessels. We're created to worship God. So we put aside all these ambitions that never fully satisfy and fill that vessel. And we let the Spirit of God fill us instead and direct us instead. The sacred vessels bringing glory to God. That that's what we're made for. Get this. King Belshazzar wasted his father's riches in this self-serving blowout of a party. King Jesus, he laid aside his father's riches in order to serve us and to bring us to a greater banquet. Get this, don't settle for Belshazzar's feast on the edge of death. That is not a good place to be. That is the lamest party in history. This is what we're settling for. We're settling for a feast on the other side of death where our host is not afraid or out of control or embarrassing himself. We have a king and a host who's not reckless or drunk or ignorant or terrified, but is in complete control. And he knows us and he knows everything that's happening. And he knows no fear. It's a party in a kingdom that's never going to be divided or torn away from him. You see this party that they had in this enclosed room full of fear and ignorance. And here is, and, and then limited number of days, it was coming to an end by the end of the night. And I don't think it was just Belshazzar who lost his life that night. Our party is not limited by walls or time or anything. And it is in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ whose righteousness has come down on the scale for our sake. That is it. Why would God show his mercy to me? Why would God give me the writing on the wall and say, you need to come to me and cling to me? He's so merciful, so gracious. He wants me at that party. He wants us there. He's calling us for that. He wants us to be sacred vessels, not wasting it all and missing it all, but being poured out for his glory. Some people... I'm going to hear all of that and still put it off. 
because they want something more. Well, that was writing on the wall for Belshazzar. Good for him. I need, I need it. I'm not going to give all that away until I get my own writing on the wall, my own personal message from God. But here's the thing, you've got it. The writing has always been on the wall. This is an old, old story. Again and again and again, and it's for us. You don't want to wait around for any other moment to come. This is the moment where God is writing on the wall and saying, you've been weighed in the balance. You've been found wanting. What you really want is Jesus. How are you going to respond to that? Because you are going to respond to that. You either do it like Belshazzar did and just ignore it completely or you surrender to him and cling to him. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, uh, you are so holy and when we honestly weigh up our lives, we are so found wanting. We have nothing to tip that balance. We want Jesus. We need him. We cling to him. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would stir in us and help us to see how needy we are and that out of that would spring up a greater desire for Jesus a greater desire to see that we need him, that we want him, that he is exactly the one we should cling to, that we wouldn't be weighed in the balance and found wanting, but we would be weighed in the balance and it would be Jesus. Holy God, I thank you for your mercy in that. And God, I ask now for mercy for those people here in this room who are still ignoring it. Pushing it away and pushing it away and waiting for something clearer. Though we all have nothing when it comes to you, but you gave us Jesus to die in our place. Our days are numbered and the Ancient of Days day died for us. Heavenly Father, I pray for those who are still not clinging to you, that you would cause them to cling to you, that you would give them so much mercy to be able to trust you and cling to Jesus now. In his name we pray, amen. Amen. We're going to stand, let's stand. We're going to sing. To the Lord Jesus, this is a song that proclaims we've got nothing. Nothing of our efforts stand. We need Jesus. Let's sing to Him.